glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to him forever. Dear listeners, you may have noticed that we did not have our podcast music before this glory to Jesus Christ. Oh, this is going before the music. Yes. Okay, great. I just made an executive decision. Awesome. Keep going. This is just going to pop on just like that. <laughs> and then and then after this announcement, then the music's going to start. Okay. Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, that's great. Okay. Keep going. So um, the music will come shortly, um, but we are tacking on this announcement at the beginning of this episode because we are procrastinators. And that means that we, we me, <laughs> I, I do have to say... We'll do, we'll do our usual banter. Leah Darrow yesterday, and I told you this, Mother. Leah Darrow told me that you, she said, you procrastinate in the most godly ways. And, and what she meant, because since I'm her chaplain for Lux, like she is also the victim of my procrastination. But she says it, it always works. Like God uses my ineptitude and my procrastination in order to do his will. And so I am a good servant of the king and I, I procrastinate and God uses my, my sin even sometimes for his good, which is great. So Fantastic. the announcement we're making is that um, we are starting a nonprofit. Yeah. So yay. Mother is the president of the nonprofit. I am the vice president of the nonprofit. We have a board. Um, this nonprofit is called Fotina and it is called Fotina because that is the name that our business together church gives to the Samaritan woman at the well. And we want to start a nonprofit. I'll explain what we're doing in a moment, but we want to, want to start a nonprofit that was of course based and oriented towards evangelization. And I think that Fotina is one of the greatest examples of evangelization in the scriptures because she brings the entire town out to Christ. Mm. And she also evangelizes, she preaches Christ by talking about her own sin and her own weakness. In other words, she's a, a good earthen vessel. She's one who understands her own weakness, her own sin. She understands that Christ, the living water bubbling up inside of her has healed her of that. Um, and so she uses that in order to draw people to Christ. And then she is no longer needed. Um, the people say to Jesus, we, we no longer believe in you only because of her testimony, but rather because we have experience of you and we believe you. And that is of course the goal of evangelization. That is certainly the goal of, of what God is not and mother Natalia and I in general, that's something on our heart. And so we wanted to be able to involve all of you listeners and other benefactors in this mission. And so we started this nonprofit called Fotina. Um, with that in mind, and I'll explain real quick. So I, I said what Fotina meant. Um, you may be asking why we need money, and the, the answer is we don't. Um, <laughs> Natalia and I are in a in a very blessed situation where um, we get the sustenance and the money that we need for our to have our basic needs met uh, from the church. And so we don't need any money. And so this is very much, this project, this nonprofit is, is an overflowing of generosity. It's something we do not need. And if you've ever read Chesterton, you realize the most beautiful things in the world are the things that are unnecessary. Um, I love the, the example he uses about, you know, if you drink because you need to, that's a sin. If you drink because you don't need to, that's a joy and something of God and a generosity. So there's, we do not need to do this. We do not need this nonprofit, but... Um, it's just an overflowing generosity that we're able to to facilitate and, and that'll come from you. So um, this is going to be the components of this. When, when you donate to Fotina, uh, you are going to, we're going to be giving uh, 10% 
of your donation as a tithe. So we're, we're going to give 5% um, back to Mother Natalia's eparchy and 5% to my eparchy. And the reason for that is because we only serve at the, at the blessing of our eparchy and our bishops and our, and our superiors. So um, that's why we don't need money. And so we want to give back as, as a tithe, as a stewardship to them. We're also going to give 10% of all donations to other projects that are also working within evangelization. In other words, we're going to give to project. We don't think that we're going to, we're the only, you know, game out there. We do not think that we're doing the best evangelization. We don't have evangelization. We want to support other projects that are also doing evangelization in the world. So 10% to other projects that our board will decide what that is. We're going to give 25% to what we call the Matthew 25 ministries. So this is to the hungry, the thirsty, the strangers, the naked, the ill, the imprisoned. The parable of Jesus separated the sheep and the goats. We need to find in the poor, in the needy, and we're going to give... Uh, 20% of, of all that comes into the, the nonprofit to them. And we're going to do it in, at least I am, mother, mother may have other ideas, but I'm sure she will as well. But we're going to give this money in creative ways. Um, I have a, a big, big heart for the poor. And I think that um, it's important to find creative ways to give to them, especially in ways that are dignity building. So mm-hmm. I've, I've done a lot of work with corporations and other groups um, that really in addition to just providing food and clothing and shelter, um, et cetera, that, that you, you provide those things in ways that are dignity building and especially the alleviation of the loneliness. I think that's a big part of, of what podcasting is. It's also a big part of, of the basic human needs. Um, people that are really, really lonely, you know, community and love is a basic human need. And so we can't expect people to have faith until they feel loved. And I think that's that's a big thing that we want to do. So finding creative ways of giving to the poor in ways that are dignity building and um, loneliness alleviating, I think it is, is going to be on my heart and on the heart of this nonprofit. Um, and then the rest, uh, 60% is going to go to our, our brand of evangelization. It's going to go to um, the podcast. It's going to go to um, hopefully building a studio one day. It's going to go to things like um, maybe even pilgrimages that we may mm. be able to lead. It will go to things hopefully like also brick and mortar. So we don't only want to be evangelizers in the, in the digital world. We also want to be evangelizers in the physical world. So like, for instance, I would love um, to, to, for the, this nonprofit to provide at my parish in LA and other Byzantine parishes throughout the world, um, places of evangelization, hospitality, et cetera. If you listen to the, the podcast we did with Andrew Whaley on Calix, um, this is the kind unchurched. of that. Exact, the unchurched. Thank you. Um, this, is, this is in that spirit. So providing places for people to actually engage with other human beings face-to-face, not only digitally, um, that's a passion of ours as well. So um, with that in mind, what we are also going to start now, um, and that's why we're announcing it now, is a Patreon page. So we're going to have the nonprofit that you can contribute and um, we'll have, if you go to fotina.org, um, I hope and pray that our website is up. If, you, if you're listening to this and go to fotina.org and it's not up yet, I apologize. We're, we're finishing up that now. Um, but also you can go to our Patreon page. So, so P-A-T-R-E-O-N um, and just search for what God is not. And any money that goes to our Patreon page will go to the nonprofit Fotina. Um, but it'll be um, obviously in support of the podcast. So making sure that we have the right equipment, make sure that we we can afford the the costs that come along with this podcast. Um, but it's also, uh, there's going to be tiers. And these tiers of giving, monthly giving, are going to have 
That'd be everything from if you're if you are able to give a certain amount. I think the lowest is two dollars, and it goes up to a hundred dollars or more. But you're able to give. You'll get things like our merchandise. Um, you'll get things like different levels of shoutouts. You're going to be able to choose mini topics, um, and then all the way up to um, giving our squirrels middle names, which I think is is a Ooh. huge huge benefit. Right? This is very <laughs> important to this podcast. Um, Maddie thinks that's funny. We have a, a special guest to one who's just listening in. Um, and then all the way up to like a visit, you know, visiting us, we'll buy you dinner, we'll buy you drinks all the way up. So, so check out our Patreon page for the, the gifts that will come from different levels of giving. And then I just want to say one thing. Um, please do not give to us instead of your parish. It's very, very important mm-hmm. um, that according to true stewardship, the stewardship I tell my parish is give 5% of your income because the, the 10% model of tithing that comes from the scriptures um, or whatever percentage you can give. So um, prayerfully discern a percentage of your income you can give and then give half of that to your parish. Um, you can give 100% if you want, but to give half of that to your parish and give half of that to other organizations, other nonprofits, other charities. And I think it's important to be creative in that way. So if you want to make us uh, part or all of that other percent, please do not neglect your parish. That is incredibly important. But if you want to give to us and discern what that is, um, it will go to Fotina and it'll go to our various um, evangelization and uh, services um, digitally and physically um, to all of you, our listeners, but also to the poor, the needy, the lonely, etc. In, in creative ways that if you go to our Fotina page, once we get it up and running, you will see, we will share with you um, as we are able to use that money in creative ways, we will share with you on a blog and a vlog um, the opportunities that we've been able to use um, your donations and your stewardship for. Mm-hmm. Awesome, thanks. An- anything to add, Mother? Um, I don't think so. I think you did a great job. Uh, no, I lied. I have two things to add. Um, okay. one <laughs> you is did that, not do a great job. <laughs> <laughs> one is that this has been weighing on my conscience since the beginning. I want to be very clear. I'm a huge procrastinator. Like I am one of the biggest procrastinators that I know. So I was teasing you and you're not the only procrastinator on this team. Um, so wait, I'm still more of a procrastinator than you though. Yeah, I wait until so the, you're, you're I wait until the last minute. You wait until after the last minute. <laughs> That's I'm the like difference. I'm like the widow's mite. I I, I procrastinate <laughs> from my lack. Like I I procrastinate in ways that that are over the top. Yes. Um, so. But but I'm I'm a big procrastinator as well. So I want to be clear on that. And then the second thing is just um, I feel like I mentioned this to you at one point, and I feel like you came as close to an eye roll as you get. Um, but I'm hoping to get listener support on this. I think that one day we should have some sort of retreat in Colorado through Fotina and we should hike a 14er and we should call it Fotiner. <laughs> Maddie laughed. That means I, it's like I, I la- funny. I laughed too. I laughed okay. as well. I actually, I think that's clever. It's a very Mother Natalia <laughs> type of clever, but it's, it's clever. <laughs> I'm going to pretend to not be offended by that. Okay. So if you want to support us, please do it prayerfully. Don't do it recklessly. Um, But I guess generosity could be reckless. But anyway, so Fotina, P-H-O-T-I-N-A.org, or you can go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and just search for what God is not. Um, and you can find us. And of course, any any prayerful assistance and financial assistance uh, will be used, um, hopefully with great creativity. We really feel that our Lord is guiding us um, to be able to do more. And we've had such a, a beautiful response 
um, to this podcast that this is kind of the next step in, in attempting to do our Lord's will through what we've received in the generosity of all of you and our personalities and our church, et cetera. If you missed the spelling on that, it's photina.org. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think, I think you're, you're, stop. you're more gangster than you think. <laughs> All right, I'll enjoy the podcast. I totally forget which episode you're about to listen to, but enjoy the podcast coming out this week. And uh, thank you for your prayerful and financial support. Thanks. Love you guys. dear ones, you're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Mother Natalia. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to Him Glory forever. Glory to Him forever. That kind of sounded like when you're, um, when you're giving a talk at girls camp or something. That's what that sounded like to me. That's how you always start. Are you making fun of my voice? <laughs> or, or, or are you saying that's how she sounded? <laughs> Um, so that voice was not Father Michael O'Loughlin, nor was it Mother Natalia. I almost <laughs> just said Sister Natalia. Um, but it was Mother Cecilia. Yay! Hello, Hello Mother. It's good to be here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we're recording this um, for a second time because the first time had technological problems because we live in Amish country. And so we only recorded like a few minutes before we're not re-recording an entire episode, which would be horrible. Um, I guess it would. We've never had to do that yet. I shouldn't have said that. But we, we don't believe in Catholic Jesus because we're Catholic. All the time. Like we, like they lost, never with me, but they would lose entire episodes multiple times. And oh then they would start gosh. again and you could like hear the frustration in their voice. And they wouldn't always say what they did. So you would just hear like they're just angry. <laughs> angry um, in the beginning. I'm like, I think at that point I would just say, you know what? Let's try to pick this up tomorrow. We may not get an episode out this week. I, I just can't even imagine. Um, we are, we're still having a little bit of, of technical difficulties, so please bear with us listeners if there's some awkwardness that Father Michael tries to cover. Um, I can't really try to cover it because I'll cover it with more awkwardness. <laughs> but, that's, so, like, that's like one of my um, a, a personal a moment or a, a skill or an attempt of personal pride is trying to cover over other people's awkwardness. Like in social situations... If people really? are really, really awkward, or if I'm really, really awkward, I just try to cover it up. That's like I, something I, I love attempting to do oh. to, to smooth over rough social situations. If, I'm, if I've never noticed, then probably I'm the awkward one that you're <laughs> covering, <laughs> covering up for. <clears throat> um, no, you, actually, you're not. You're just a magnet for awkward, though. Like, you're, you're actually not that awkward yourself. You just attract <laughs> very awkward people to you. So... So anyways, Mother Cecilia, the reason she's here is that um, I, I, I get so much joy out of this podcast and I bring that joy to the community and I love that I get to share it with them um, and it's a great gift. But then I wanted in exchange to share the gift of my beautiful community with the podcast listeners. And so Amen. I had the idea of having at different points, each of the nuns who is willing to come on the podcast and have them kind of lead, share something that's a fruit of their prayer or um, something that they've been talking about with friends recently or, or whatever it may be. And um, that way the listeners could kind of get to know each of the different personalities in the monastery. 
and uh, to know that it's not just Mother Natalia, and in fact that it's, um, yeah, there are seven of us here, including Docomos Olivia, who all of the listeners are already very familiar with, or uh, somewhat familiar with at least. Um, but yeah, so the first brave volunteer to come on an episode was Mother Cecilia. Yay. Welcome, Mother. So I met Mother now probably 15 years ago. Father Michael, you need to say Mother Cecilia or Mother Natalia because there are two of us here now. Mother Cecilia? I'm going to call her MC... MC Elia. (laughs) MC... (laughs) MC Acelia. That just doesn't make any sense. Anyway, call her MC Hammer. I'm giving 90s rap references again. I apologize for that. It seems like I'm going to do this every single episode. But um, So I met Mother Cecilia, the original OG, back like maybe 17, 18 years ago before she was a nun. Um, was it at youth rallies, Mother Cecilia? Or was it just like in Denver or with Mother Theodora or something? Um... I don't remember. It might have been when my family visited um, your parish in Denver when we were on a camping trip. I don't remember if that was the first time or not. I feel like I feel like I had already at least seen you, and I think it must have been at Byzantine Youth Rallies. Probably. And your family came through Denver pretty early on in my priesthood, and then um, one, <clears throat> one, of my, one of my favorite homeless people just walked by the window. Anyway, um, the... Uh, you came was to visit. It the one, was, it was it the before. one with the? Was it the one who um, gets rid of the cats? No. Oh. <laughs> no, this woman. She comes and she, she comes and she sits there and and because of her mental illness, she like can't look in one place. So she'll just be like, looking everywhere. But her, even though she's looking everywhere, like if you were on the phone with her, you would have no idea she has a mental illness because mm-hmm. she just speaks completely straight and and logical answers every question but what she's looking is all over the place so mm-hmm. you just kind of speaking of like awkward like you just you just got to imagine that she's not doing that and you can have a <laughs> totally normal conversation with her you know mm-hmm. and she has she has drama in her life like everybody in LA does but anyway it's uh, so she just she just walked by and she has her she has her scarf over her head which makes me think she was probably just in our church she probably mm-hmm. came in and put her put her head covering mm-hmm. on and then just like kept it on when she walked out um Anyway, um, so though you remember, I just got a text um, from actually from Bethany Doyle yesterday because I know you're listening to this like four weeks out, but the we're, we're recording the day after the episode came out um, that we record. I think it's called Mother Natalia Live, the one that we recorded the day after Mother Ugh, Natalia's Live Profession. The one where I ugly cried? Yeah. <laughs> well, Like serious I, ugly crying. I, I need to listen to it again, but there, there was... Um, Bethany Doyle texted me yesterday and said, I'm, you, you, you guys made me cry like in the car on the way to work. And so she was obviously listening to that, that episode. I had to like look up and see which one came out that day. Uh, but at the end, at the end of the episode was when I was thanking Mother Theodora and, and I was mentioning just the foundation of Christ of Gregory Monastery. And so mm-hmm. Mother Cecilia was the co-foundress along with Mother Theodora, whose voice you hear at the beginning of every single one of our episodes. Um, but Mother Cecilia founded it with her, um, so I just to, to orient who we're talking to. It's actually very fitting, I think, that we're talking to you first, Mother Cecilia, mm-hmm. because you you have been there the longest long with Mother Theodora. You've kind of been through everything. You've seen all the the drama and the rigor of the foundation of a monastery, and I think like ninety percent 
of founders of monasteries become canonized saints. So, congratulations. Oh, well, that's a good, I've got a good start there. Mother Natalia, cut a piece of her hair and keep it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Relics. All right. Anyway, that, that's my introduction to Mother Cecilia. It's great to have you here, Mother. Thank you. There's, oh, this happened last, yesterday. There were two flies here now. Do you remember yesterday there was one when we recorded? I do. There are now two, and they're going to drive me crazy. Can you hear the buzzing in the mic? No. Do you know what Beazelbub means? I probably say this every time. No. You know what Beazelbub means? No. It means the Lord of the Flies. Oh, really? Like in rabbinic literature, they could not understand why God would have created flies. Like, there was no explanation for it. So the rabbis actually called the devil the Lord of the Flies because hmm. he was, in a sense, like the creator or the Lord of the Flies, which had no, seemingly no other purpose. So That's fascinating. The fact that you're irritated by flies is actually a very spiritual reality. Yeah, I'm just that holy. Um, that was, so there's two <laughs> flies here right now? Yes. <laughs> have, you, have you not seen them? Oh, yes, that's why there's two. It's because there's two of us. This is like your little guardian demons, like we have like letters. <laughs> These are the two guardian very frustrated demons. demons that aren't able to get their claws at you. They're um, saying they're flies. So, anyways, are you okay if we just uh, move into the topic, Father Michael? Do it, please. Okay, great. So, uh, like I said, I asked Mother Cecilia to to bring something to the podcast that um, she's prayed a lot with recently, or or has shared with a lot of people recently, or something like that. So, what did you decide to talk about, Mother Cecilia? Well, as soon as you asked us if we would like to be on the podcast, um, what immediately came to me as an idea for my topic is silence, um, which I don't think any of my sisters were surprised (laughs) um, that I would choose that as my topic um, because this is something very important to me in my spiritual life um, and I think is a beautiful gift of God that he's given me. Um, it's also an affliction to my sisters because, (laughs) uh, because of my, um, my sometimes, um, over desiring silence and in my, my process over the, over the years of coming to learn what silence really is, um, and, um, yeah, and what that's really about, um, and so I think if I had been on this podcast a year ago, I don't even know if this podcast existed a year ago, but um, it did. Yeah, <laughs> um, I probably would have yes. said uh, something very different a year ago about silence than um, I plan on saying today. And I think it wouldn't have been. It might have been fine, and it might have bore fruit for people. Um, but I think it might have. It worked. might have. I guess. Great. I guess the Holy Spirit could have worked. <laughs> um, but I think it's good that I'm talking about it now rather than a year ago, um, because the Lord has really done a lot of work in my heart in better understanding what silence is and what it's all about, and and purifying my own um, my own desires, my own. Uh, and my natural desire for silence. Mm. So, um, I so that's kind of when I was, um, as I was brainstorming and just praying about this, um, I was thinking about how this podcast is called "What God Is Not," and um, as I was reflecting on silence, 
I just started thinking about um, what silence is not. And I think that's kind of what I've been learning over the course of the past year. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of in general what I wanted to talk about um, to kind of break through some of the misconceptions that we have about silence um, that, and both for those who naturally um, like silence and those who might naturally struggle with it more or that wouldn't be the first thing that they would choose to do given some free time is to go be in silence. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so I think there's misconceptions for, and there's, you know, there's a whole range of, we all, we're all not perfectly one or the other of those people. Um, But uh, I think there's different misconceptions with that everyone has about silence. And I'm not saying that I'm an expert at that. I know exactly what it is. Um, But I just wanted to share some of the fruits of um, of my prayer and what I've learned about it recently. Real quick, I'm really, before you I'm really, do that, Mother Cecilia, could you just just let it? How long have you been at the monastery, and how old are you? Because I, I, I just I, you're 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 so young to be processing this. So if you don't mind sharing that, just so that people understand, because it'd be nice to have you back on like 40 years from now, and and kind of <laughs> and then to be able to say this is this is how I've grown or learned or adapted or provided or inspired regarding silence. So just how long you've been a, um, a nun, and if you don't mind sharing, how old you are. I know that's not a thing you normally ask women, but <laughs> I, I think you'll be okay. <laughs> sure. I have been in the monastery for 12 years, and I am 35. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, like, I like this. I'm excited about it. I'm excited to hear what you have to say, um, because... Um, I, I think it's a really good topic, and I also think that you're a very a very good one to do it with us because I think we can reach a further a greater span of of listeners um, of different personalities and different temperaments this way because uh, Father Michael and I are very much of the type who are not naturally drawn to silence. Obviously, we're both very extroverted, um, and yet both obviously. Uh, acknowledge the the importance of taking time in silence for prayer time um, time to be in solitude with the Lord we've talked a lot about Pustinia and things like that um, and um, so I think that we can speak to the different different sort of uh, temperaments of listeners as well so I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it so um, another thing when I was um, reflecting on what I wanted to talk about um, I have a whole page of just random notes written everywhere. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to focus this because I have so much to say. And I realized like the irony. irony. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So just to start, um, one of the things that uh, silence is not is that silence is not an absence and I think this this first point especially speaks, well, it speaks to everyone, um, but I think this one especially maybe speaks to those who don't naturally like silence, um, who might think that, like, why would I want to do that? It's just, like, noth- it's just nothingness. Like, what's the point? Um, and there's a um, powerful quote from... Uh, Robert Cardinal Seurat, who wrote the, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, uh, the book, The Power of Silence. And he says, silence is not an absence. 
On the contrary, it is the manifestation of a presence, the most intense of all presences. And I think this might not be something that's obvious at first for someone who begins to spend time in silence, um, but it's something that um, we come to realize as we spend more time in silence and dive deeper in silence. I had an experience, the most powerful experience I had of this was um, when I was in Utah. One time I was at, I think it was Arches National Park. And we had driven and parked the car along the side of the road somewhere, and it was evening. And um, at, in this particular stretch of the park, um, and at this time of day, for some reason, there was nobody around, and there really weren't any cars driving by. And so this is out in the desert. And uh, I grew up in Ohio, and so I'm not used to the desert at all. And uh, being out in the desert, uh, and the people I was with, we were just, we just sat there in silence. And the desert, there's something about the desert that just absorbs every sound. And it was the most intense experience of silence I've ever had, of, of this physical, external silence. And um, it was so startling it was not only the most intense experience of no sound, but it was the most intense experience of a presence. Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> in prayer, when the, when the Lord gives me the gift of actually being um, interiorly silent and there's exterior, exterior silence as well. Um, and at certain moments, um, silence does become very much this powerful presence of God. Um, it's, it's, it's not an absence. It's, um, it's him being there um, powerfully. It's like I'm finally able to recognize that he's present with me and um, that his presence is so powerful and overwhelming. And I need... To, I need those moments to remember that he's with me and that he's powerful. Um, sometimes I just need to stop throughout my day, um, even if there's not physical exterior silence, but just to stop what I'm doing and to be quiet inside and, and let, my, let my work be silenced and let my thoughts be silenced. And just to remember that he's with me and that he is in charge of everything and to let go of, of my anxieties and everything that I'm doing so that I can go back to my work or I can go back to being with people and loving them, knowing that it's not me that I'm giving, that it's, um, it's God hmm. that I'm giving. I like, I like that concept of it not being, it not being an absence because really anything that is of the Lord um, is a fullness, right? It's not. It's not a. It's not a lacking of something. Um, in fact, evil is is the lacking of good or the perversion of good. But <clears throat> but um, what is good and of the Lord is not lacking. And it reminds me of the ways in our Tipicon that we talk about 
um, the virtues of poverty and chastity and obedience. Like chastity is not simply abstaining from the marital embrace. It's, it's a fullness of, of love and of um, loving others uh, with, with a Christ-like love. And we, we talk about all of those things as not just a not doing something or a lack of, but a fullness of something that is good. So I like that way of thinking of it. It made me think of, of, you know, the fact that when you go to the desert, like we know Christ. I, whenever I've seen sometimes kids will like grab their, grab their parents' faces and like turn them towards themselves. Like if they want attention and the parents doing something else, they're like, like just physically grab their parents' face and point at themselves. And I feel like our Lord, to use the image, is always there. He's always right in front of us, kind of like a child, to kind of try and pull our face towards his and he's there all the time, but we're so distracted by everything else that we don't realize he's there until we remove those distractions. And this is very much the monasticism of the fourth century. They went to the desert in order to remove the temptations and the luxuries of the world and went into the desert to, to kind of forcibly remove those things so they could see the Christ that was there and is there and will always be there, but we don't always see him, recognize him. And so... The image that I thought again after that was this beautiful moment when I realized about my brother, Sean, and I know I've shared this story before, but he now has his ninth child on the way and he's a pilot. So he, he's gone, you know, for, you know, two or three days in a row that he comes back. And so his kids don't see him every single day. So, but when he's home and I've seen this happen, when he's putting the kids to bed, he brushes each of his kids' teeth. And when he does this, they have this little, you know, they, they make sure they do it for two minutes, whatever, because, you know, that's what kids need to learn, brush your teeth for two minutes. But my brother will literally, I mean, as they get older, he can't do this anymore, of course, but he'll lay them down facing up on his lap and he'll brush their teeth, like with them just looking up at him. And I think, you know, with now going on nine kids, this may be the only time where each kid gets two solid minutes mm. with their dad and and it's just they they're they're just locked in like they're they're not doing anything else. He's brushing their teeth, but which is you know uh, uh, something separate. But there's this there's this two minutes that they get with him before the craziest that next kid comes up. Then they got to get them all to bed. Then we you know we're all over there. So um, all the distractions are kind of removed for those two minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's the case, um, but but that's what it seems like because they just kind of calm down. And his kids are kind of crazy. I like like all good kids are right. So they, they just kind of calm down and they look up at him and he brushes their teeth. And then they get on to the next thing. But there's um, that's what that silence, if I hear you, Mother Cecilia, what you're saying, this silence removes, kind of forcibly removes sometimes all the distractions. So we see Christ who's always been there and is mm-hmm. always revealing himself to us. But we just don't see him because of all the other things going on. A silence removes all those things so that, which can be, I think, frightening <clears throat> first when we see him realize he's right there, kind of turning our face towards him. Um, but that's always been there and that will always be there and we only realize it in the moment in that silence. Mm-hmm. And we realize that, I think silence also helps us to remember that the goal in the spiritual life is is communion, is union with God and with each other, um, that it's not about producing and doing uh, and that the the fruit and fruit comes out of our union with God, um, but it it can be really hard for us, especially in our culture, to just sit in silence with God or to sit in silence with another person, um, because we think, well, this isn't productive. I sh- I need to be doing something. I need to be 
even even this spiritual sense of like I need to I need to produce fruit for God. Well, the first I mean that comes from from being with Him, and um, and that's that's very hard for us because a lot of times being in silence with Him it just doesn't feel. It doesn't. We might not feel any fruit. <laughs> we not, might not be aware of any fruit, um, even in our own heart. We might not be hearing anything, um, let alone uh, seeing fruit that's being produced for others. And um, that's something that my spiritual father was just uh, explaining to me in my last meeting with him, is that um, the kind of explaining that the emptiness that we feel in silence sometimes is actually the same thing as fullness. Like this kenosis and theosis is happening all at the same time. This, um, if people aren't familiar with those terms, kenosis being uh, emptying and theosis being transformation into God. And um, so it's sometimes we're only feeling the emptiness, but that is that emptiness is the presence of God because it's Him pouring into us and pushing out our self. Mm. And um, so sometimes it might feel full, it might feel empty, <laughs> but um, this this process is this kenosis and theosis. And then the second point I wanted to bring up that silence is not for self-seeking, and this is speaking especially for those like me who naturally like silence, but I think it's also for everyone as well. Um, So I started to, well, I don't know when I first started to realize this, but um, there was some time, maybe last year or so, I was on Pustinia and it was shortly after Mother Natalia had introduced a new true became to the community. And it was, uh, it's a mm. beautiful choral piece that she learned when she was in Colorado. And we were just learning it. And it's the one from the outreach, Father Michael. <laughs> nice, beautiful. I love that one too. It's really beautiful. And so we, um, it was stuck in my head. And so on <laughs> Pustinia, and it's a beautiful, I mean, it's a church hymn. It's a beautiful hymn but it was driving me crazy <laughs> because all I could do for two days in Pustinia was sing this true <laughs> Um And it was on that Pustinia that I came up with my own definition of silence, which is the emptiness of self. Because I was so frustrated that I couldn't have silence on this Pustinia because this hymn is in my head. <laughs> and um, I realized, especially in like, fin- finally I started reflecting on the words and realized this is about um, laying aside earthly cares and, um, and singing and worshiping God with the angels. And I realized that silence is not just about not having these irritations and all of these things so I can just be at peace with God and just enjoying that and just resting in Him and just everything being how I want it. Um, and that this, this is actually self-seeking. And, um, and so I came up with this definition of the emptiness of self. 
I have a friend who has uh, tinnitus and also two members of my immediate family have tinnitus, which is uh, when you, it's a condition when you have um, permanently ringing, you just hear ringing in your ears. And um, I realized, you know, it's not that those people can never have silence. They can never be free of that ringing, but they can experience this silence of the emptiness of their self to, to make room for God. And they can experience this intense presence of God with them. Um, my spiritual father gave me one time this, it's a little book, it's called Silence, a series of conferences given by a Camaldolese hermit. And on the front is this image of a monk with his finger up to his mouth, like <laughs> when a parent would, you know, the symbol of, shh, be quiet. <laughs> and so I saw the cover of this book and I was like, oh, great. I'm really excited to read about silence. And then I was really distraught to find out that every chapter until the last chapter was not about external silence. <laughs> um, some of the chapters are about silence of hearing, silence of taste, silence of the appetite, silence of touch, silence of memory, imagination, will, self-esteem. And so it's all about quieting these things inside of ourselves. It's, it's about the emptiness of self. It's about this experience of kenosis and theosis. Were, were you going to share any part of that book? No. Um, because as you were speaking, I was remembering, I also got a copy of this. I don't remember why. Someone gave all of us one. Was it Mother him? had me buy one for everybody. <laughs> oh, I understand. Okay. Um, for you, I was, Natalia, it was just very passive aggressive. Like, it was a book. <laughs> <laughs> she really wanted Mother Natalia to read it. <laughs> yeah, you buy one for everybody. Um, because she knows that I read every, never mind. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say Ouch. that. Ouch. Um, Ouch. No, that wasn't a dig at you. That was a dig at myself. It's a, I'll tell you later. Anyways, um, okay. people hate when we do that. People hate when we say something on here and then say, I'll tell you later. And rightfully, because we shouldn't do that. So I'm sorry. Uh, but I remembered a, a part in the introduction that's, um, silence, of course, is not an end in itself. It is only a means to something greater and more important. Silence cannot remain empty for it must be filled with something greater, as for instance, prayer in all its forms or the study of divine revelation or prayerful work. Um, and he later talks about how silence is compatible with action, that God is infinitely silent and infinitely active. But um, that's what I was thinking of is because he actually talks about that of, of it not being an emptiness, but rather a filling. Um, yeah. And normally I would think that kenosis Obviously, Christ on the cross was achieving kenosis, like real self-emptying. That's where we get that name, the word from. But it, that's a very, very active thing. You know, it's it, kenosis, self-emptying is, is is something that we have to participate very directly in when our Lord is is allowing us to empty ourselves. Um, and I, I think. I think, Mother, I imagine, Mother Cecilia, what you what you experience now and what you'll experience again forty years from now, when we do this again, um, you'll it, it'll it'll kind of be a. It's it's 
the way that silence is restful is not what you think. It's not, it's not an escape. I think sometimes mm-hmm. often we think that silence is an escape. It's an escape from all the craziness of the world. And it's what a mom needs, you know, when, when the kids are just going crazy, she needs a little bit of silence. And for her, that would be an escape. But um, especially when you're living a life of silence. And actually, I mean, this is at the heart of hesychasm, of course. This is at the heart of stillness. There's just, there's a, we're, we're, we're stilling every, all the passions um, in us so that we become passionless. Um, the, 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 as far as, what, what's the word you use, Mother Natalia? Not passionlessness, um, because that sounds like we're not being radical. Um, anyway, it's, the, the, there, there's a, an emptying of, of all of the, of the radical greed and radical anger and radical lust, all, the, all these things that, that, that need to be stilled. Um, so that we can go through our life kind of ordered and structured and still that's at the heart of hesychasm. But in that is a great cross. It's in that is a great um, non rest, an active carrying of the cross until we get to the eternal rest of heaven. Um, But that that's just, I I, I like, and I have another question if we get to it about that, but I think that'd be distracting if I ask it now. So I'll ask it later on if if we have time. Sure. I think, I, I pulled out a couple more quotes from this book, um, The Power of Silence by Cardinal Seurat, that um, actually have to do with the Byzantine divine liturgy and silence. Um, and I think one goes right along with what you were saying, Father Michael. This is, um, if anyone wants to look it up, it's number, it's like, I don't know if these are numbered by paragraphs or what, but anyway, number 253. He says, silence poses the problem of the essence of the liturgy. Now the latter is mystical. Eastern Christians rightly speak about the divine liturgy and the holy mysteries. As long as we approach the liturgy with a noisy heart, it will have a superficial human appearance. Liturgical silence is a radical and essential disposition. It is a conversion of the heart. Now to convert, etymologically is to turn around, to turn toward God. There is no real silence in liturgy unless we are turned toward the Lord in our heart. But true silence is the silence of our passions, the heart purified of carnal impulses, washed of all our hatreds and resentments, oriented toward the holiness of God. Hmm. That was something that, um, like I, so I grew up Byzantine Catholic and in our liturgy, we are constantly, um, we're constantly singing. And when I was in college, there was a Roman Catholic church within walking distance. And so um, for the most part, I practiced as a Roman Catholic in many ways during college. And so I would go to um, weekday masses during the week and those were very quiet. There was no, there was no, no instruments, no, I don't think we sang unless it was maybe a big feast day or something. And um, it took me a little while to get used to that, but there was something about that that taught me so much about the liturgy, actually about the Byzantine liturgy. It helped me to see, because before college, I had only been to a Roman mass a handful of times in my life. And, um, Having this experience actually helped me to understand the 
the flow and the different parts of the liturgy better and what the liturgy was all about because it was so much more simplified, but mm -hmm. I could see how it was the same. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so when I started, uh, when I would go back to my parish, when I visited my family or during the summer or whatever, and then after college, mm -hmm. um, it actually helped me so much because I was able to, I actually found that silence within my own heart, like that mm -hmm. silence before the mystery of God in the Byzantine divine liturgy. And I understood that even though we keep singing the entire time, there is this sense of, of silent awe and reverence before God and just his presence giving himself to us. And this is actually the other quote that I found has to do with this. This is number 259. He says, of course, the Eastern rites do not foresee times of silence during the divine liturgy. In fact, when the priest himself is not chanting, that is when he prays silently, particularly during the anaphora, the Eucharistic prayer, except for the words of the consecration, which are chanted aloud, you notice that the deacon, the choirs, or else the faithful sing uninterruptedly. Nevertheless, this is very interesting because this is the, um, uh, the reason for the name of the podcast, they're intensely aware of the apophatic dimension of their prayer, which is expressed by all sorts of adjectives and adverbs describing the Supreme Master, the universe and savior of our souls. For example, the preface of the Byzantine rite says, you are God, ineffable, inconceivable, invisible, incomprehensible. Essentially, the divine liturgy is something of a plunge into the mystery. It is celebrated behind the iconostasis and the priest who stands at the altar of sacrifice often prays in silence. For Eastern Christians, the iconostasis is the veil that protects the mystery. Among the Latins, silence is a sort of sonic iconostasis. Mm. And so that, like, he, he actually puts to words what I experienced through being at very quiet Roman Catholic masses and um, the Byzantine liturgy. I thought that was so beautiful about how he talks about the iconostas as this veil and then silence as a veil of the mystery. Mm. So the iconostas is, um, again, just that, that screen, um, that icon screen between um, the altar and <clears throat> the altar and the, um, the nave. Um, but the, I really, I really like that phrase where he says uh, for, for Latin for the Latin, what does he say? The thing about sonic, among the Latins, silence is a sort of sonic iconostasis. Um, so silence is that veil between the the altar and the nave. I like that a lot. And it's interesting, some a, people talk, oh, go ahead. No, please, Mother, go ahead. <laughs> some people talk about how, you know, in, in he heaven will just be, silence before God. And then some of my sisters say, I don't want heaven to be silent. <laughs> and then they, they say, it says in scripture, silence will be singing. <laughs> and I think it's because it's, it's all, I don't know. I, I've it's never been there, both. but it's somehow both. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, this is a, this is an inspired Perla. So a, uh, a slight squirrel distraction, but, um, I was last night. I was talking with a prisoner, and he was mentioning a Roman Catholic bishop, who, uh, during the the mask mandate in his city, um, said that the mask mandate said you need you must wear a mask in all public places, and he said, well, of course the the nave is a public place, but 
when you go behind the altar rail, it's like going behind the iconostas. That's no, that's a sacred space and it's no longer public. Because <laughs> it's like, so he said, so he would, the priests and the servers wouldn't wear masks up on the altar, even though the people in the pews had to. Because he, he, he even put that in the letter, you know, in public spaces we have to, we're going to be obedient to the city. But every, when you go behind the altar rail, it's now a sacred place. It's no longer public. It's, it's now heaven. So, you know, we will not be wearing masks. I just thought, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I guess this guy's also a lawyer. <laughs> he found a way to figure this out what he, what he wanted to do but it was, it was kind of beautiful in a sense that, that he thought that and knew that so viscerally that's funny well my last point is basically that silence and this is a little bit different from the other two but silence is not God's displeasure or disfavor and I mean mm. this has to do more with when God is silent, when he's not speaking, we're not hearing everything. It's not his displeasure with us or his disfavor for us. And um, I came up with a few reasons for why I believe that to be true. One being that God is more than words. Um, and in fact, uh, Jesus Christ is the word and he wants us to seek him, not just a word that we can grab hold of and run off with. And I find that sometimes when I go to prayer, when I have a question for him, or I'm just feeling down and discouraged and I just desire for him uh, to say something to encourage me. And sometimes he does, and that's very important, and that, that is his love. But sometimes he doesn't, and sometimes he just gives himself and um, that's just as important, if not more important, than when he speaks a word to us because he's giving himself. And then another reason is that he could be waiting for us to realize that our behavior is destructive to us mm-hmm. and um, that we would finally turn to him in humility. Yeah, so his silence helping us to realize that what we're doing is just keeping us away from him. But he, he's not yelling into that and um, stopping us. It's, I, I, the image I have is of a parent letting a kid have a temper tantrum, <laughs> uh, just letting it happen until they realize they're being ridiculous. <laughs> and sometimes I just have these spiritual temper tantrums. And finally, after a while, I just... I calm down, I quiet down, and I come and just sit before him and just look at the face of Jesus in the icon. And and then another reason. And sorry, just to say, he. what's beautiful about that is he doesn't hold the temper tantrum against us either. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like he's like, you know, there's there's no point of, I'm going to make you... I'm going to make you pay for that temper tantrum. I'm going to now wait it out even longer. It's like, no, he he allows us the space that we need. Like when there's a distance from God, sometimes it's because it's a distance that we've chosen and he, he allows us that space. Um, he allows us to throw the temper tantrum and then it's just like a very gentle, um, okay, are you ready to talk now? Like, can you, <laughs> can you, can you use your calm voice? Can you use your words? Can you? <laughs> um, it's and, also, yeah. it's also true that like you said, mother Cecilia, that, you, a child will realize that they're being ridiculous, and they, you don't they don't, need, they don't need to be told that. Like at the end mm-hmm. of a temper tantrum, they just kind of like, oh, that was 
that was over the top, you know? And, <laughs> and I think that's kind of the way it is with, with our Lord. Sometimes he lets us have these temper tantrums because we're actually going to learn something from it. Like at the end of it, we're going to be like, okay, that was, <clears throat> that was utterly ridiculous. And, and I think that's like we priests need to understand when people come to confession, there, there's all these things on social media now, these horror stories about people's bad confessions. Like a priest that like would ask a child after they were abused, like, did you have anything to do with this? You know, do you know what, like they, the priest would do this in confession, you know, and, and like, like trying to draw out of them things that were just total spiritual abuse on the, on the side of the priest. Um, but it's the one thing that, that I think many priests need to understand is that like, again, if the priest perceives in confession, the person's there, obviously they're repenting most 90% of the time. This, of course, some people are there for, for to, abuse their own spirituality but um that's very very rare so but when people come it's like they're there they've they've learned their lesson they're there to confess and so the priest offers the mercy of god um and you don't need to question much unless you really suspect that there's there's some spiritual harm they're doing to themselves um that that needs to be needs to be um encouraged to do otherwise um but there is that that temper tantrum can just be a very a, a lesson it can be a, a moment of learning and and when we flail and flail and flail and then we just kind of look back and say okay our lord didn't need to stop me i was crying out in the midst of the temper tantrum lords like explain yourself explain yourself explain what this is in the world explain my explain me all these things that by the end of the temper tantrum we go oh like my own temper tantrum explained very very well exactly what i was asking god to do but he just kind of watched me the whole time saying you'll learn you'll get it you know just wait it out he says, be still and know that I'm God. Uh, so another reason that I think God is silent is so that we can be, and this goes along with be still and know that I am God, so that we can become aware of the greatness of glory of God. And even though he does care about our little problems, he wants us to know that he is powerful and these little cares of ours have no power to impede him. Mm. And he humbles us before him. And this all happens very much without words. And so that's why he doesn't speak those words. Mm. <laughs> I was thinking when I was at Steubenville, we had the Portiancula Chapel, which is like the 24-7 Adoration Chapel. And we were warned when we were discerning celibacy, you know, be careful going to a, going to the chapel with a girl because in the port you just it's always silent there's you nobody's ever you know, there's no praise and worship music there's nobody praying out loud it's always silent that's the whole point you go there for silence and we were told there's something very intimate about prayer but also very intimate about silence so when you're sitting next to someone in silence that's actually a very intimate experience. Like you're not even talking, you're not sharing, you're not doing anything. You're just sitting next to the person. But if you're discerning celibacy, just be careful because you're gonna experience a desire for greater intimacy with God when you're in there, but also with the person you're sitting next to. And if there is an attraction there, you know, that's gonna happen. So I think built into silence itself is is a receptivity that is also intimate. So that there's a, well, of course you want intimacy with God and silence there's a place for that, even in increased intimacy, like there is with other human beings. You know, sometimes you have couples that you kind of talk about, oh, we, we know we know that we truly love and trust each other when we can just sit there, you know, and not mm -hmm. say anything. Now, mm -hmm. that is good. Also, people will just 
they'll just be so angry with each other and so disorganized that they'll have nothing to say. That's true too. So that you you don't really know which one it is, but but truly true silence is going to almost it's built into us for that to breed intimacy with the one that we're sitting in silence with. And so if we make sure that that's God, then Amen. Now we're closer mm-hmm. to Him even after a period of silence. It's mm. beautiful. Another reason I think that God is silent is to increase our desire for Him, which increases our capacity to receive Him. Mm. It's just this stretching. Mm. And the final reason that I came up with, but I'm sure there are many more, would be to purify our hearts so that we seek Him rather than ourselves. This happens to me and I, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but this happens to me often on Pustinia when I go in, um, when I go into it as an escape, and um, I'm there seeking myself and seeking this consolation and peace, and I'm not finding it. <laughs> and um, but the longer that I, I persevere through this, the more and more I start to get in touch with the real deep desire of my heart, which isn't just for this consolation, but it's for God. And um, as it says in the Song of Songs, I sought him, but I could not find him. And that just increases the seeking. Mm -hmm. And And it, yeah, it just helps us to realize, wow, I actually do desire God. I do love God beyond my desire for him to console me. I really do just desire a relationship with him. And he really does love me and um, want to give himself to me. And this, this is really the only way to true joy and peace because when we're seeking consolation and seeking ourself, that, that's just temporary and surface level. But finding this actual deep longing for God um, is the way to experience this true joy and peace. And it comes in a much more subtle, kind of dry way than, than we would expect. Um, but this is, this is much deeper and more fulfilling. And, but we'll never be fully fulfilled in this life. And so there's no way that we could go on Pustinia or spend time in prayer and silence that if we just do it right and God does all the right things that will be perfectly fulfilled, that longing is just going to increase and increase throughout our life. And ultimately that's preparing us for heaven mm-hmm. because we, we're going to have to be stretched an awful lot <laughs> to be able to, to fully receive God and to be in union with him. And so the, the pain and the stretching we experience in the moments of silence that are that are that feel empty and dry and painful, um, those are the moments to really thank God because He's really stretching us and purifying us and and preparing us for our ultimate home with Him in heaven. Thank you. That's amazing. Amen. Um, it, it reminded me the whole the whole part you were just talking about on um, the different reasons for that God might be silent with us or or that our experience 
might be that he he seems silent is um, it reminded me of the Andrew Peterson song Silence mm-hmm. of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're big fans of Andrew Peterson at our monastery, so he's a, a Christian musician, um, and he wrote this song called The Silence of God that interestingly references um, the the Abbey of Gethsemane. Is that what mm-hmm. it's called? Uh, so because he goes on retreat there or something like that, I think, um, which is interesting, but. Um, the so the the song the song is about how how difficult it can be to feel like you're bringing these things to the Lord you're bringing your pain your brokenness and that all you hear in return is is silence the silence of God um, and the the last stanza of it is very beautiful he says this is right after he refers to the Abbey of Gethsemane but he says and the man of all sorrows he never forgot what sorrow is carried by the heart the hearts that he bought. So when the questions dissolve into the silence of God, the aching may remain, but the breaking does not in the holy, lonesome echo of the silence of God. Um, But I like that. The aching may remain, but the breaking does not. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's that stretching that you're talking about. Um, Yeah. My question that I don't think we have time for, but I actually think you answered it. Um, <laughs> that's why, even why I'm bringing it up. Um, I think you answered it, but I, I imagine if people have this question, they may need, may need to listen to this episode again. Um, but maybe if you have a 30-second answer to this based upon what you've already said. Um, and that's, I think that most people in the world, um, most people I'm ministering to as a pastor, when they silence horrifies them because that's when all the self-condemnation, that's when all the regrets, that's when like distractions are an escape from what's really going on in my head. And, and so what's really going on in my head if I sit in silence and don't have those distractions is for many people is completely negative. Like mm-hmm. there, there, there's not, so it, like I think they would say if the, if empty like the the stillness or the silence if it was true silence like that would be heavenly but again they're looking for escape but but because when when they're in silence the 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 things are thinking about themselves and others are just are completely negative so um and again this is the stillness of hesychasm is is removing all those thoughts and i think the answer has to do with looking at god rather than ourselves but that's so much easier said than done um, so do you have any wisdom for those who are afraid of silence because of what they, the thoughts they, they're, they know they're going to have? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Sorry, I want to let you answer, but I just find the question interesting because you just articulated very well. I think that um, when we're afraid of silence, we're not actually afraid of silence. Mm-hmm. We're afraid of um, the noise. The noise, yeah, that's what we're afraid of, actually. Like, yeah, we're not amen. afraid of silence. We're afraid of, of noise that comes when we take out the other distractions. Because um, mm-hmm. if, if it was true silence, then, then we wouldn't be afraid of it. That's really interesting. Yeah, so I would say don't be afraid because all of those things that come up when you go into silence are still going to be there. They're all inside of you. This is a beautiful opportunity for all of those things to come out 
and for you to actually be able to pour those out before the Lord and give them to him and ask him to heal those things. And so silence is, like the discipline of silence is not an end in itself. It's, it's this means for communion with God. And so it's not like, well, the goal is that I need to go spend time in silence every day. And if I can just not think about anything, then I've done it and I'll feel good about myself and great. <laughs> and people will be proud of me. My spiritual director will be <laughs> proud of me. Um, but this, this time of silence with the Lord um, is a time of, of bringing our poverty before him, for him to heal us and fill us. And that all of those, those thoughts, those negative things that Father Michael was saying, this is the reason why God became incarnate and came to save us. This mm. place of poverty, this, all, of, all of this yuck that we don't want to look at, we want to hide and um, repress. This is the reason that God became man and died for us mm. and rose from the dead, destroying death. Um, this is all the stuff that he's already destroyed. <laughs> and so by, by allowing ourselves to be silent and to face that is cooperating with what he's already doing um, and is giving him the chance to heal us. Mm-hmm. And so don't, don't be afraid because you're going before the one who loves you, who's not judging you. He already knows all that junk. <laughs> Um, don't run away from it. This, this is, our sinfulness is the place of our intimacy with God and silence is the place of intimacy with God. Mm. And so let that just all come together and don't worry about doing it right. Um, just, just be and let it be a mess and let God enter into that mess. Thank you. Perfect, thank you. All right, um, prayer intentions? Unless either of you have any last thoughts before, before we do that. I thought that was perfect. Okay. Um, I'm going to ask for prayers for um, my brother Chris and his family. So we're recording this a couple days before Chris's birthday, and it's coming out a couple days after um, one of his kids' birthdays, my, my nephew Bradley. Um, I'm, not, I'm not very in touch with them we don't we don't talk very much so um uh yeah please just pray for for chris and his family and for um for any healing that they may need and uh and an increased desire for the lord i would like to ask for prayers for my spiritual father and his family he's a married priest with five children and um it's just very evident how much the evil one attacks um, not only priests and, and those in the church who are in leadership, but also their family to try to bring down the priest and to bring down the church and um, just all the struggles and sufferings that they have and that they go through, that, um, they just need a lot of prayers. Um, and uh, I would ask you to pray for, there's a young adult group at uh, a Roman Catholic parish here in LA, in North Hollywood, uh, called Charles Borromeo, and the young adult group call, is called The Vine. 
And this was a young adult group that was probably one of the best known young adult groups in, in LA. So before I moved out here, shout out to Crystal Sheets. Like she says, you need to get in touch with the Vine because they're, you know, they're great young adults and they'll, they'll appreciate anything you can do and help them in any way they can help you. Well, I've been here two years, um, never really got in contact, but shout out to Cowboy. Um, he knows people from the Vine. And so he invited all of them. That's my squirrel. Yeah, exactly. That's your squirrel. Um, invited all of them to our Divine Liturgy last night. We didn't know who we were going to get. We got 30 young adults, and it was amazing. They came to the Divine Liturgy. Mm-hmm. I went to bed at 1.30 in the morning, and they were still going very, very strong. And they were so engaging that Father Nathan, who I've never seen up past, like, 10, was just going strong in discussions, like theological deep, deep discussions with these young adults. And I just went to bed. I don't think I've ever gone to bed before, <laughs> ever. You know, it's like that. It's like that one time I was at the monastery. And Mother Cecilia was like, I think one of us, or maybe Mother Natalia, went to bed before Mother Cecilia. We're like, yeah. ah, this is crazy. <laughs> it, it was kind of like that. Like, I went yeah. to bed before him. So it was just a very, very engaging group of young adults. And we had we had s'mores and we had food and people brought food and drinks and we all smoked cigars. It was just like it was just this incredible. We even put one girl on the cigars for the first time. I felt kind of bad for that. Um, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but but we did, and it was it was just an amazing night with them. We had older prisoners, younger prisoners. So um, just pray for all of them. Obviously, young adults, especially in Los Angeles, is just a, it's a fragile place to be. Mm. Um, and so uh, so just pray for all of them, if you would, all the members of the Vine in Los Angeles. All right, Father, can you give us a blessing? May the Lord bless you all and keep you. Cause His face to shine upon you. Have mercy on you. May our Lord grant all of you the peace of his presence. May he inspire you to feel safe in silence, um, but also to desire the self-emptying and all the things that silence is. And may he purge your understanding of all the things that silence is not. May he give you good mentors and good experiences in silence. May he also bless and guide your family and all families. Families are the ones that teach us and form us in the ways of God, the ways of the kingdom of God, the ways of this world. And may you have good examples in your families um, and in your family as you inspire others to to seek silence because in, in seeking silence you seek God. And may our Lord grant you patience in your own journey towards appreciating silence, understanding that all of this takes time and that you have your entire life to appreciate the gifts that God has given us. Um, may he give you perseverance and courage in your seeking of silence that you may approach the attacks of the devil who want to keep you from silence by surrendering the defense and allowing Christ, your guardian angel, the mother of God, St. Michael the Archangel, all those to protect you in those moments. Um, may our Lord grant to all those we've prayed for, especially those in families and those who are discerning families, um, peace, wisdom, and guidance in their vocation. May Lord bless all of you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Love you guys. Thanks for being on, Mother Cecilia. You're welcome. Thank you for yes. having me. This is wonderful. Great, great inspiration, Mother, uh, Mother, I almost called you Mother Gabrielle, Mother Natalia. I'm still getting used to saying that um, for bringing on the nuns. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to all the rest of them as well. I think it's a great idea. Absolutely. Love y'all. God bless.